Picasso was a doodler. He doodled all the time, on napkins, placemats, scraps of paper, whatever was around. He was also very famous and very rich before he died. Unlike many artists, he lived to see people appreciate his work. The story goes that one day towards the end of his life, Picasso sat in a cafe in Paris, drinking coffee and absentmindedly doodling for an hour or two. When he stood to leave, the waiter asked for the doodle. Sure, that'll be $30,000, Picasso said. The waiter was shocked. $30,000? That took you five seconds to draw. Nope, it took me a lifetime. Picasso would have been an amazing startup founder. I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job, let's test it out. The next cohort starts October 28th, and it is fully virtual. We'll have 10 to 12 startups go through the seven-week program where you'll validate that idea and understand if it's worth your time to build. In the words of one of our alums, spend seven weeks fleshing out the idea so you don't spend seven months building the wrong thing. Apply at gettacklebox.com. And now, after some soothing music, we'll get back to Picasso. And we'll test out a startup idea in seven minutes. Picasso knew his value. Most people don't. Naval Ravikant, the founder of Angelist and sort of modern-day philosopher, always talks about how even when he was young and broke, he put a number on how much he thought his time was worth. It was a huge number, something like $1,000 an hour. So when something like an Amazon package came with the wrong contents, he wouldn't take the time to return it and send it back. You can't spend 45 minutes doing something to save 80 bucks if your time's worth $1,000 an hour. He spent his time doing things that he thought would eventually create returns that would pay him that amount. I don't necessarily think that's how you should think about your time, but I do think the biggest problem I see with people with startup ideas is that they don't value their time. They've been kicking around an idea for weeks or months or years spending a few hours here or there sort of hoping that something will happen. They have one of two problems. Either they think that what they're doing is how successful companies actually start, that maybe they'll just fall ass backwards into something that works, or way more likely, they just don't know how to take an idea seriously. Back in my college basketball days, and yeah, I'm getting old, so I'm going to slip that in as much as I can. If I wanted to get better at shooting three-pointers, I'd go to practice and shoot three-pointers. I'd take hundreds of three-pointers a day, and I'd get better. I'd make 30 out of 50, then two weeks and a few thousand shots later, I'd make 40 out of 50. I could see myself improve against that baseline. It's obvious how to practice and get better at most things. It is not obvious how to do that with startups. It can all just seem so big and nebulous. If you had a startup idea and wanted to take it seriously, and if you're listening to this, you probably do, how would you even start? How would you go about doing that? The first advice I give is to take a page out of Picasso and Naval's book and value your time. All startup ideas are not equal and most probably are not worth your effort. But to know if something can potentially work, you've got to know what an idea that could potentially work looks like. So here you go. A good startup idea needs three things. First, it needs a defined customer with a problem they're motivated to solve. Second, it needs a way to acquire that customer consistently and in a price-effective way. This means a unique niche channel, one that targets too few customers for a bigger company to have already plowed through and blown up the acquisition cost dynamics, meaning you can't afford to play in the Facebook or Instagram pool with all the venture-backed companies because they're priced artificially high. And third, a differentiated product that solves the problem and is priced so that you can make more than 3x what it costs for you to acquire that customer. 
If customers aren't willing to solve the problem or you can't get in touch with them directly and compel them to use your product, or if that product doesn't have a business model that spits off a healthy margin, you're done. Your time is too valuable for that opportunity. And we can test for all these things before we start. So now, and don't worry, I'm keeping an eye on the clock. Our seven minutes in startup heaven explaining how to test out our startup idea for the day, jackfruit tacos, hasn't begun yet. We need to talk about burpees. About a week ago, I fell way deep down a rabbit hole on YouTube. Where I ended up was on a surprisingly well-edited video I'll pop in the show notes about a guy who did 100 burpees a day for 30 days and what subsequently happened to him. If you don't know what a burpee is, it's like a push-up where at the top of the push-up, instead of just going into another push-up, you jump up and do a jumping jack. That's one burpee. It's exactly as fun as it sounds. So anyway, this guy decided to do 100 of those every day for 30 days. In the video, he talks about how at first he had to expend all his mental and physical energy just getting them done. He was sore, it was hard, and the first week crawled by. But then, by day 9 or 10, things started to change. The burpees started to slow down. What had once been a chaotic exercise was now a symphony of little movements with a beat and a rhythm. Push your chest away from the ground, start to curl your hips, pull in your belly and propel your feet towards your hands, push into the ground with your hamstrings explode into a jump. The nuances of every movement emerged. When his left shoulder got sore around day 20, he made tiny tweaks to his form and it immediately went away. The 100 burpees were no longer a binary thing. They were a rock he could test against. He knew his baseline so well that he could play with the other variables like what he ate or how much he slept and see how they impacted him. I talk a lot with our founders about being a pro versus being an amateur. An amateur plays around with stuff. They buy an electric piano and watch a few YouTube videos about playing the first riff of Piano Man, and then pretty soon they quit. Which is fine, but you'll never be good at piano if you do that. That's not exactly a secret. We all know that. We get good at things when we can get past the surface layer, when we do things repetitively and start to understand the little nuances that lead to differentiation. When we have a baseline to reference, the subtleties can stand out. Humans get overwhelmed when there's no reference point. It's hard to attack something that feels so big. It's hard to break off pieces and build a practice. Which pieces do you break off first? And that's how most people feel about startups. So what we need to do is figure out how building a startup can be as consistent as doing 100 burpees a day. It has to be like that, or you'll never get the nuanced bits that anchor any great company. Here's my shot at that. The other day I got pitched an idea about jackfruit. Jackfruit, if you aren't familiar, is a wild looking fruit that's a staple in India, but hasn't really made it to the US in a big way yet. It's massive and yellow with spikes that make it look like a porcupine. The biggest one ever recorded weighed 120 pounds, and many of them grew up to three feet. When prepared certain ways, the meat of the fruit looks and tastes like pulled pork. You might have come across it. It's having a bit of a moment in superfood circles. It's great for you, naturally high in fiber and potassium, with protein and antioxidants. It's also great for the environment. Jackfruit is a truly sustainable crop. The trees don't require irrigation, and no pesticides or herbicides are used. Jackfruit is a shade crop, meaning it can be intergrown with other crops to create a regenerative ecosystem. So jackfruit is great. It's like the Lloyd Braun of plant-based meat alternatives for all my Seinfeld fans. So back to the pitch. The founder was a chef. He'd used jackfruit in his restaurant and people loved it. He had a number of recipes he thought would be great frozen and shipped fresh. Things like healthy burritos and burrito bowls, barbecue wraps, chili. He said he'd been kicking it around for a year. 
I asked what that entailed and he said mostly just talking about it and quote researching and stuff. Well, start the clock because here's how you test out a jackfruit startup idea in seven minutes. Our goal, as weird as this sounds, is to turn everything into burpees, to create repeatable practices that'll help us dive into the nuances. This all starts with a core obvious question. I asked our jackfruit chef who his customer would be. He responded that he wanted to make this for people who ate a plant-based diet, people who worked out a lot, and people who were too busy to cook the healthy plant-based meals they wanted at home. Okay, that's a lot of people, but it's a start. Our first set of burpees is speaking with people. The chef needs to speak with everyone they named, the plant-based people, the workout enthusiasts, the busy eat plant at home people, and you need to speak with lots of them. So many that you start to notice the nuances and understand the different categories of people within each larger group. We're hoping to get clarity around our first big need for a startup worth pursuing. Is this a problem customers are willing to solve? This sounds like something you'd normally pay lip service to. Sure, Brian, I'll run some customer interviews. Then you run three and get back to seasoning your jackfruit tacos. But think of startups as your opportunity to act as if, to step outside whatever type of person you are in all their parts of your life and choose to be the type of person who goes through this process right. The upside for you is unlimited and the downside is zero. So here's what you do. Give yourself one month after you decide you wanna pursue any startup, 30 days to learn as much as you possibly can about all the nuances of your customer and the business to do something that'll start off uncomfortable, but then become a practice for you. If you speak with three people each day, you'll have 90 conversations at the end of those 30 days. Sounds about right. Those 90 conversations will give you plenty of insights to start answering the main three questions we outlined earlier. Working backwards, that means you'll probably need to reach out to maybe 350 people to end up with those 90 conversations. I'd front load that outreach into the first two weeks of the month. Most of these conversations won't need to be more than 15 minutes long. For my jackfruit friend, he's gonna need to talk to a few categories of people. First, potential customers. This'll be the majority of the conversations. Second, CPG companies selling similar-ish products just to learn about supply chain, selling into retail, etc. Third, startups that have grown in the food space selling to his customers. Fourth, current jackfruit companies. I googled and found a few. The jackfruit company and Upton's Naturals, among others. You want to learn what it's like to specifically work with jackfruit before you do. I'd send out those 350 feeler emails over the first 14 days. That's 25 per day the main goal is to convert people into a short conversation. The emails and the conversations become burpees. After your third day of 25 emails, and when you start getting responses to the first batches, you'll start to understand things about your customers. After your 10th customer interview, you'll start to understand the small differences between those customers, the motivations, the goals, the current process. You can start to bucket them. I'd record these interviews with a tool like otter.ai and get the searchable transcripts. Three big tips here. First, make it easy. Second, make it visual. Third, make yourself accountable. I'd make it easy by starting out day one, emailing 25 friends and asking if they know anyone who can help. That'll kickstart you on a path to finding people to interview. I'd make it visual by putting two bins of paper clips on your desk. Put 25 paper clips in one bin and leave the other empty. After each customer reach out, move a paper clip over to the empty bin. Don't go to sleep if your left bin isn't empty. I'd make it accountable by either going through this process with a friend who has a startup idea or finding someone who can otherwise hold you to task. Tell a friend you'll text them a picture of your bins each night, and if you don't, you'll Venmo them $10. As I said that out loud, I realize suggesting you send your friend a picture of your quote bins is a little problematic, but we're on a time limit here, so I can't get into it. I have a big calendar on my desk, and I've always got one quote burpee type of activity I'm working on. 
When I hit my goal for that day, I put an X through the day. These X's will then form a chain. I get proud of the chain. I want to continue it. It sounds silly, but it works. This is all about building your practice. The interviews and conversations will be life-changing. I'm excited for you to do them. Building this process will make sure that you do. After your interviews, take a week of reflection. Spend one hour each day with a blank notebook. Write out what you learned. Write out what you know. Write out what you need to know. No laptops, no phones. Bask in this week. Figure things out. Were there customers who really cared about this problem? How can you reach them? What would be exciting enough for them to share with a friend? What would you make for them to solve their problem? The following week, you get back out there. Your goal is to try to get a customer to do something. We call this a CIT, a customer intent test. Maybe Jackfruit Guy found that there's a tight group of customers who all worked out after work and wanted something light, fast, healthy, and plant-based as a dinner at 8 p.m. They currently ate things like Beyond Meat burgers, but knew that wasn't a great option because it's so highly processed. You also heard these customers subscribe to a newsletter called Plant-Based Meatheads, a niche newsletter I just made up that has a fantastic name and is for workout fanatics that are plant-based. We now have the makings for a test. An assumption that this customer will think a frozen jackfruit burrito is a better fit for their life post-workout than a Beyond Burger. And a channel, the niche newsletter Plant-Based Meatheads, which I've just about talked myself into starting at this point. You email Plant-Based Meatheads and ask to sponsor their next issue. You pay $200 to get a sentence at the top, and you pull the copy directly from your interviews. Maybe it reads something like, you need a hearty meal after your 7 p.m. workout and you don't have time to make it. Beyond Meat is tasty, but it's processed. You don't know jackfruit. Frozen burritos have as much protein as Beyond Meat, but are natural from the ground and don't have preservatives. Then you add a link to your landing page. Also, I just made up the name You Don't Know Jackfruit, and I'm very proud of that too. Your landing page is made by using something like lead pages or Unbounce, and it lets you get a simple, good-looking website up fast. We'll pop them both in the show notes. The messaging you use reinforces the wording from the newsletter ad. The call to action is a button that collects an email, something like see our meal plans. And that's the intent test. Are jackfruit burritos interesting enough to get this customer to give you their email address? Customer intent tests are burpees. You run them over and over. You try different groups of customers, different channels, different messaging, different calls to action. You understand the process degree that you're totally competent and confident and can play with the variables. You run two or three a week. You do this for a month. You get great at the system. You learn the nuances of channels, the calls to actions that work, what your customer really wants, and maybe more importantly, what they don't. The final part of the test is around pricing and business model. The business model is in the CPG space. It is very well known as far as business models go. What you need to do is research and understand what metrics are important, where other companies have failed, and what your business model needs to look like for you to build a successful company. I like to cheat here. Here's where I call up a VC. They know business models like the back of their hand. So I did. I spoke with Seishu, a friend of mine who works at a fund in New York City. He spoke about CPG startups as having to choose either going direct to consumer, DTC, or retail through something like Whole Foods or Amazon or both. He strongly suggested starting out DTC. He said that going into retail prematurely constantly kills small businesses like this because of course Whole Foods is going to take a huge margin, but more importantly, if all goes well and customers do love what you're selling, Whole Foods is just going to ask you for 1,000 times the capacity you're capable of making and you'll need 10 million bucks immediately just to scale up your operation. It's highly unlikely you'll be able to pull that off 
and more than likely you'll go out of business trying. This research should help you see what a viable, healthy business looks like for you. Our jackfruit friend needs to understand what's called his, quote, cost fully landed. How much, soup to nuts, it'll cost him to get his product from the tree to someone's plate and price at a 40% margin on top of that. Layer pricing into your earlier tests. Add it as an option on your lead pages site. See if people buy. If you've got a product that you can make and sell, our jackfruit guy could make his stuff one off. Do that. Sell it. Send it out. Start getting customers and see what they think. If you can't deliver your product just yet, make sure people were willing to pay the price you need them to pay before you decide to build it. And again, do some burpees here. Run lots of tests. Immerse yourself in testing pricing and getting feedback. Once you get to this point, you'll know if your product is worth building or not. You know if it's worth your valuable time. That's how you test out a jackfruit idea in roughly seven minutes. Not sure exactly how long it was, maybe it's a little bit over, but that was pretty close. I can hear you, but Brian, you just described like three months worth of work. In the words of Warren Buffett, no one wants to get rich slow. This stuff takes time, and three months of work to lay the foundation for a business that could change your life isn't so bad. And I promise you, if you start today, in three months, you will be ridiculously glad that you did. Your idea might have potential. Treat it seriously. You're worth it. And if you made it all the way here, feel free to send this podcast along to a friend or toss us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. And as always, email me at brian at gettacklebox.com with thoughts or questions. And if you want jackfruit burritos, let me know that too. Our next Tacklebox cohort, where you can go into detail on everything I just spoke about, starts October 28th. Apply at gettacklebox.com. Have a great week.